It's October 19th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. Hey, good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got three briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, developing news connected to the war in the Middle East. First, Joe Biden joked yesterday that Islamic terrorists got to learn how to shoot better. He was talking about a Hamas rocket that failed to launch and instead hit that hospital in the Gaza Strip. I've got details on that joke, plus news from the U.S. Capitol, which was stormed yesterday by pro-Palestinian supporters. Second, an update for you about that mystery we discussed last week in the Baltic Sea. Uh, We've got another underwater cable that has been damaged, and all eyes are on a very strange Chinese ship that local officials are quite suspicious about. Details coming up. Third, San Francisco's mayor made a major announcement yesterday about the issue of drugs in her city. Fellow Democrats are bursting with anger about what she said and what she is going to do. I'll tell you what's going on. Later, a listener questioned for us about news from Mexico over the weekend. Some Mexican cartels filmed themselves shaking down 15 fuel trucks. They dumped their entire load of gas out on a bunch of fields. I share my reaction to that news with a lesson for how we might deal with these thugs once we have a commander-in-chief who chooses to do something about them. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. Developing news related to the war in the Middle East, ladies and gentlemen. First, breaking news last night from Air Force One. Of course, Joe Biden was leaving Germany on his way back to the United States from his trip in Israel. On the plane, reporters were asking him about that hospital bombing that we talked about this week in the Gaza Strip. Indeed, as we have discussed, Palestinians are saying that, well, it was Israel's fault for this explosion at the hospital. Israel says no. No, it was the fault of a terror group whose rocket misfired. It fell short and landed on that hospital. Well, as listeners might know, Mr. Biden has said that U.S. intelligence agencies believe that the Israelis got it right on this one, that it was, in fact, a Palestinian rocket that misfired and killed its own people. Well, Biden was asked about all of that, and he addressed the controversy by saying or joking in this way, quote, I'm not suggesting that Hamas deliberately did it. It's that old thing, gotta learn how to shoot straight. Folks, it's it's not the first time that Hamas has launched something that didn't function very well, end quote. Well, to be very clear, he is making a joke here that Hamas, a terror group, has to learn how to shoot straight as uh, they are now firing rockets into Israel. Of course, this also comes as Israeli homicide teams continue to recover the 1,300 plus bodies from, well, when Hamas did shoot straight. So there's that. Meanwhile, in our second update that is connected to the war in Israel, the U.S. Capitol complex was stormed yesterday by Democrats and fellow leftists who were demanding a ceasefire in this war between Israel and Hamas. Indeed, hundreds of protesters managed to get inside congressional buildings and launch a series of protests, which, just for the record, are unlawful. Indeed, Capitol Police tweeted that out yesterday. As you would expect, some number of protesters were arrested, uh, and the charges range from engaging in violence, others for resisting arrest, and others for simply demonstrating inside the complex. Meanwhile, outside of the Capitol, there were thousands of more protesters chanting pro-Palestinian slogans like, From the river to the sea, Palestine will be free, 
which, uh, of course, we discussed what that really means earlier this week. In attendance of the protests outside of the Capitol uh, were a number of uh, individuals, Democrats and socialists like Representative Rashida Tlaib, who repeated that uh, unproven claim that it was Israel who bombed the hospital in Gaza on Tuesday night. Again, I should emphasize that now at this point, both U.S. and Israeli intelligence have said with a high degree of confidence that the explosion at that hospital came from a Palestinian terror group when their rocket misfired or exploded early. But as ever, Hamas and the terror group Islamic Jihad are both very much disagreeing with that intelligence and assessment. Also, Arab media outlets like Al Jazeera, they are casting doubt on these American and Israeli claims as well. Nevertheless, we await word on whether any of the folks that were arrested yesterday, the Democrats on Capitol Hill, will ever face punishment. Observers are wondering if these Democrats will face the same or a similar punishment to all those January 6th protesters. And that is because yesterday's protesters managed to get inside of the Capitol, despite having protest gear and a very clear intent to violate the law, as Capitol Police have now confirmed. So we shall see. With that, let me now pivot away from facts and data to my analysis and opinion on these developing pieces of news. First, it is hard to defend the indefensible, but Democrats and their friends in the media are going to have to do it today because Mr. Biden just joked about Islamic terrorists needing to shoot straighter. And he delivered that joke while Israelis are struggling to identify terror victims. They're having to x-ray human tissue to try to tease out how many people were tied up together and burnt alive. And Biden thinks it's the right time to joke about that, about terrorists learning how to shoot straighter to kill more Jews. So I don't even know what to say to that. It's indefensible. I'll just leave it there and let you all react. But second, let's talk about the attack or the criminality or the protests at the U.S. Capitol yesterday. Let's talk about how this fits into the current moment of U.S. history, political history. So I think that what we are seeing, ladies and gentlemen, again and again, is that there is this very visible and very loud number of Democrats who are either pro-Palestinian or pro-Hamas or both. And if we have forgotten whether or how that could possibly be true, that the base of the Demo uh, Democrat Party embraces a terror group or their ideology and they do so openly, well, let's remember a couple of things Remember that last week, Black Lives Matter tweeted out an image of a Hamas paraglider with the phrase, I stand with Palestine. Now, as we all know, those Hamas paragliders were the ones who dropped into a, a peace co concert and Israeli villages and then just slaughtered everybody, a bunch of Israelis and over 250 people at that peace concert. The second thing that I think we should remember as we put yesterday's capital protests into context is this. Democrats and leftists have said for weeks now, years actually, that Palestinian terror attacks are justifiable or even understandable because, as they allege, Israel is a colonizing entity. Indeed, they stole Arab lands, and as they have done it, they are mistreating Palestinians, of course, that they displaced as they took all those Arab lands. Now, according to this argument, a Democrat argument, that means that Palestinian terror attacks aren't really attacks. They are resistance. Again, that is the Democrat argument. Now, I personally find that to be morally outrageous and absolutely absurd, but let's put our moral beliefs aside and focus on what this means politically for this country, certainly over the next couple of years. And here's what I see. 
We have an election next year where one man, Mr. Biden, and his fellow Democrats can only win re-election by satisfying these leftists who sympathize or justify Palestinian terror. And let me just give you one example of that from yesterday. Socialist Representative Rashida Tlaib that I mentioned before, she tweeted out that actually the war in Israel is Biden's war because he is not stopping it and he is letting the Israelis continue to assault the Palestinians. She said, quote, we will remember where you stood, Joe Biden, end quote. And that, I think, helps explain why Mr. Biden continues this pivot that he has done this week to be more Palestinian or pro-Palestinian, to be more sensitive to those folks who are either Hamas sympathizers like the BLM folks with their paragliders or Miss Talib and her river to the sea chants. And I want to give you another example of this. Mr. Biden yesterday tweeted this out, quote, the vast majority of Palestinians are not Hamas and Hamas does not represent the Palestinian people. End quote. And that is a demonstrable lie, right? Hamas was elected by the Palestinian people back in the year 2006 and into 2007. And indeed, Hamas was at that time known to be a terrorist group. Plus, we have polling from the year 2021 that shows that when Hamas conducts terror attacks against Israel, support by the Palestinian people goes up. In other words, Biden is trying to convince us all that Palestinians are living under this yoke of Hamas terror. It is a, it's a government that they just can't get rid of, and they certainly aren't complicit with. That's the message that he's trying to convince us all of. But the facts just don't support that. It's not that clean of a distinction. Now, to be very fair, conditions inside the Gaza Strip and the West Bank, where the Palestinians live, those conditions are not exactly pleasant, to say the least. In fact, Palestinians have a lot of cause to be angry at the conditions that they live under. But let's remember part of the reason for why that is. As I shared with you all on October 9th, for almost 20 years now, their fellow Arabs in the country of Egypt have shut them off from the world. Right? They have worked with the Israelis to lock the Palestinian people inside the Gaza Strip because the Palestinians, according to Cairo, are deeply infiltrated by and support Islamist groups, including Hamas. So let us remember those facts, right? That nuance and frankly unpopular set of data as Mr. Biden and his party pivot to a more welcoming embrace of the Palestinian cause. Because no matter what you think about it or whether or not you support Mr. Biden, that belief in this pivot, it is going to impact all of us. As an example of why that is, consider this. Yesterday, Mr. Biden announced that he would give the Palestinians another $100 million in new aid. And let's just underline the truth here. Ladies and gentlemen, that is because he is trying to please his political base instead of acknowledging that we have an Islamic extremism problem in the Gaza Strip. Right? We know it. Israel knows it. And Arab governments, including the Egyptians, they know it too. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. We'll be right back. Well, the world is just awful lately, isn't it? And sometimes it makes you just want to crawl into bed and scream into your mattress to make it all go away. Well, if you do, just make sure that your mattress is made by GhostBed. Seriously, folks, GhostBed makes the finest mattresses on the market today with craftsmanship and high-quality materials that you can feel as you fall asleep. And I would know. 
I had their Lux model and I bought it because I sleep hot and that thing helps keep me cool all night long for a great night's sleep. Now, people have asked, how does this technology work to cool you? I don't know, magic? Maybe little elves in there somewhere with ice cubes? Probably, but it doesn't matter. Their mattresses, ladies and gentlemen, are top notch. And if you don't believe me, that's okay. They have a 101-day trial period plus free shipping and returns, so you can try it out in the comfort of your own home. So go to ghostbed.com backslash right. That's W-R-I-G-H-T. And you can explore all of their incredible models. And right now, they are giving my listeners 40% off their ghost bed purchases. But you got to use that code right. Again, go to ghostbed.com backslash right. W-R-I-G-H-T. And get yourself the good night's sleep that you deserve. Folks, if there were ever a product that you should consider, man, this is it. Jace Medical. They provide an emergency supply of prescriptions and antibiotics. And here's why you should consider them. As listeners know, I have spoken about how China and India control most of our prescription drugs, including antibiotics. Well, what happens if a war should break out over, say, Taiwan or maybe a pandemic again? Well, we all know what happens. Our supplies of critical products get interrupted. And that is not acceptable if your life depends on it. So that is why I am proud to tell you about jacemedical.com. And here's how it works. You fill out a simple form at jasemedical.com. Then you speak with a board-certified physician. And within days, your order arrives at your home for emergency use. And I'll tell you, it, this is not for casual use, folks. Talk to your normal doctors for sniffles and such. This is for emergency use with potency lasting for years should the worst ever come. So friends, go to jacemedical.com, enter promo code right. that is W-R-I-G-H-T, and you will get a discounted order. Again, that is promo code right at jasemedical.com. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning, shall we? With a mix of international and domestic news. First, Let's grab our maps and let's head abroad for a mystery. This is an update on a very mysterious case of sabotage pipelines and communications cables in the Baltic Sea. So we first talked about this last Thursday, but let's refresh our memories, shall we, by looking at our maps, either on our phones or computers and in our minds. Regardless, come with me this morning to the Gulf of Finland. It sits between the country of Estonia to the south and the country of Finland to the north. And of the various things that connect these two countries, one is a natural gas pipeline. It runs for about 80 miles between the Estonian city of Poldiski and the Finnish city that is called Inku. These two cities also share a data cable. It runs pretty close to that gas pipeline. Well, on October 8th, Finnish investigators say that somebody damaged both of those lines, likely as an act of sabotage or a technical force, they said, of some kind. Now, as listeners will recall, nobody's quite sure yet of precisely what happened or who the culprit might be, but initial suspicion went to the Russians, which naturally President Vladimir Putin denied. And that is important, folks, because as we discussed last week, if Russia were found to be the guilty party here, it could be considered an attack on a fellow NATO member. That, of course, is the military alliance that we are a part of. And if so, either Finland or Estonia... They could call on NATO to respond to this attack, 
And that could mean that the United States, well, we might have to respond militarily as well. So that is why we should care about this mystery. Oh, and that plus $11 billion in trade that we have with Finland. Lots of good reasons to care about this story this morning. Which takes us to the latest news out of the Gulf of Finland. There is yet another damaged cable that we got to talk about. A third cable or line in all. Plus, we got a new suspect. It's a mysterious ship from China. So here's what we know. Officials in the country of Sweden announced yesterday that one of their telecommunications cables was damaged at the same time and virtually at the same place as that Finnish cable and the gas pipeline when they were damaged too. Now, beyond this, Swedish officials aren't saying much other than that the uh, investigation continues. But Estonian officials and local press there, they're saying a bit more. Indeed, what they are confirming this morning is that around that damage or the sabotage of this third line, there were two ships of interest that could have been involved. The most likely was not Russian. It's a Chinese ship, a container ship. It is flagged in Hong Kong, but it belongs to China under the name Nunu Polar Bear. Yeah, that's, I got that right. The Nunu Polar Bear <clears throat> was returning from Shanghai with a stop in Kaliningrad and was transitioning or transiting, I should say, to St. Petersburg, Russia, when those pipelines and the cables started to malfunction, as it were. Estonian officials say that it was the closest ship, the Nunu Polar Bear, to all the damage when it all happened, even closer than a nearby Russian ship. Estonian authorities have apparently been pretty reluctant to talk about this because the information is, quote, so politically and diplomatically sensitive that they want to make absolutely sure first, end quote. So there you have it. The latest facts and data on this ongoing Baltic Sea mystery. Let me now pivot briefly to my analysis and opinion. Well, if you love a good mystery, this is it. Because the involvement of a Chinese ship, it is a little bit of a head scratcher, ladies and gentlemen. I tell you, I'm not understanding Beijing's possible motivation here. And that's because the interruption of the natural gas pipeline, let's say by blowing it up or damaging it in whatever way, well, wouldn't really be that big of a deal, not for either Finland nor Estonia. Finland, for example, it's going to manage to do just fine through LNG deliveries. Now, those communication cables, mm, a bit more interesting. Those might be of interest for Chinese intel, depending on what those cables were transmitting. In other words, it is possible that this was a covert action operation by the Chinese government, and it went bad. They were trying to install some sort of spy equipment on these communications cables. And, well, they were hoping to do so because they were transmitting classified NATO secrets. But then the Chinese dive team screwed up. Now, based on some conversations that I've had, this doesn't neatly fit uh, with, with this uh, particular scenario in terms of where the cables were at, the depth and so forth. But who knows? So we have a mystery. One that, let us just remind ourselves, if this does involve an attack and it is on NATO infrastructure or a country that belongs to NATO, it absolutely increases the risk that, that this could escalate, certainly between these European governments, but also between the United States government and the ultimate culprit. And that is why I will be keeping my eyes very closely on this issue. And you might want to put it on your radars as well. With that, we turn to our third report of the morning, pivoting now from problems in D.C. and the Baltic Sea, to the city of San Francisco. 
And here's why we are heading to the city by the bay this morning. The mayor there, named Mayor London Breed, says that she is bypassing her fellow Democrats on the city council and putting forth a ballot measure that says this. If you are in San Francisco and you want welfare, you have to be tested for drugs. And if you test positive, you got to go to rehab in order to get more welfare cash. And that proposal is apparently so shocking and so outrageous that leftist media outlets like Politico are calling it, quote, a seismic shift to the right in San Francisco, end quote. Okay, well, let's dive into this story, taking us back to about three weeks ago when Mayor Breed announced this new policy by saying this, quote, no more handouts without accountability. It is time to make sure that we are cutting off resources that continue to allow this behavior, end quote. Now, the behavior she's referring to, of course, is drug use. Right? That is rampant in the city of San Francisco, both in general and amongst the welfare recipients. Now, when the mayor made this announcement, she was joined by a number of uh, city council members, technically called boards of supervisors and such. Well, there's this one fellow who joined her is named Matt Dorsey. He is a recovering drug addict, and he says that more coercive measures like this one are necessary to get a hold of San Francisco's just raging drug crisis. But other Democrat supervisors are not convinced. They are outraged by what they are calling a Republican idea or a failed conservative policy. For example, far-left uh, supervisor Aaron Peskin said that Miss Breed was trying to deflect from her other failures by embracing this crazy policy. Quote, we need serious ideas, not politicians desperately grasping for a political lifeline, end quote. But to be clear, Breed's idea isn't especially partisan, even if you dislike it. And just to emphasize the point, here is her idea. If you want welfare support, you have to be tested for drugs. And if you test positive, you have to go to rehab or to treatment. Now, you can still get welfare support as you're going through treatment. And in fact, you can still get it even if you, quote, slip up, as Miss Breed has said. In other words, if you keep testing positive for drugs while you are on welfare, but you're in rehab, well, you can keep getting more money. But as Ms. Breed said, quote, welfare recipients still have to try to get sober, end quote. And just to put some numbers on why she is so concerned about this issue, 52% of the homeless people in her city, right, they are drug users. Indeed, those are the ones who receive services from the city and are filling out the forms, admitting as much. So her argument is that this problem is not going to get better unless they use this, well, treatment demand, this coercive policy, if people still want the welfare cash. Now, I should note that the critics of Ms. Breed and this policy say that her approach is absolutely unscientific. Uh, they say that the data show that it's not going to work and that even if it could work, San Francisco doesn't have enough treatment beds. They only have about 2,500 as of last month. And it is because of those reasons and those critics that when Miss Breed introduced this idea, it was initially described as dead on arrival. That's because she didn't have enough support on that leftist board of supervisors or city council to pass it. And all that background now takes us to our most recent news that came out yesterday. Mayor Breed announced that she is going to bypass her fellow Democrats on that board of supervisors and put her idea on a ballot measure so that voters can decide for themselves. Ms. Breed said that she would work to get the law on the books by putting that measure on the ballot during the local elections that are coming up this March. 
In response to that statement yesterday and to move to the ballot measure, three city supervisors or council members said that they were going to support her, promising to work very hard to ensure that that is successful. Other supervisors, though, including one leader called Connie Chan, she said that, quote, Miss Breed is doubling down on a right wing approach to attack the poor, end quote. In other words, ladies and gentlemen, whoo, this policy It is going to make San Francisco pretty spicy over the next few months. Drugs aside, lots of good debate to come. So those are the latest facts and data out of San Francisco this morning. And rather than give you my analysis or opinion, I would just like us all to stew on this one for a while. Plus, as we do that, I want to explore the data behind these these treatment programs that Ms. Breed is advocating for. I'd like to understand the likelihood of success, right? The, The relapse rates and so forth. Because that is really important to consider as we think of ways to help not just the addicts in San Francisco or California, but frankly, all around America. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It is a listener question sent to us from one of my paid subscribers at rightreport.substack.com. Robert in Brownsville, Texas wrote in. He wanted to know if I and you all are watching some news from south of the border about how the cartels are operating these days. Because there was a wild video that came out over the weekend that he was wanting to know what I thought about it. So, Robert, let's tell everybody about this video and how, at least in my view, it gives us a good window into how we might deal with these cartels, how how we might destroy them. But first, since we've been using our maps a lot this morning, let's do it again. Let's explore the border for just a second. I want you to find Brownsville, Texas. It is just this side of South Padre Island, if you know about that pretty little spot. Well, south of Brownsville is the Mexican city of Matamoros. And if you aren't aware, Matamoros is known for three things, basically. First, a lot of U.S. car companies have their factories there. Second, it is a hub for Mexico's oil industry. And third, it's home to the Scorpions cartel. And they are the same cartel that kidnapped four U.S. citizens last March when those four folks went to that city for, well, plastic surgery. The cartel then apologized for kidnapping those folks. They said it was a case of mistaken identity, maybe a case of road rage. But either way, the Scorpions, uh, they left a nice note of apology, handwritten, allegedly. And then they, uh, they then turned over the guys who captured or kidnapped those four Americans. But I'll tell you, don't think that these Scorpions have gained any humanity over the past eight months, as indeed Robert knows. And here's why. On Sunday... Armed Scorpion members forced a dozen fuel trucks full of gasoline to pull over to the side of the road and empty thousands and thousands of gallons of gasoline onto a field. And that is because the drivers and their gas companies failed to pay a tax, shall we call it, in order to pass through the cartel's territory. It's a protection fee, a shakedown, right? That tax, by the way, runs about $500 per truck. And if you try to bypass the cartel and their tax, they'll catch you. And they call you a grasshopper when you do, best case scenario. And they do that because, well, you're trying to hop over their territory. Indeed, here's a quote from The weekend by the Scorpions who filmed this entire thing. Quote, this is going to happen to all the grasshoppers, end quote. And then, of course, the video shows them forcing the drivers to dump thousands and thousands of gallons of gas all over that field. 
So those are the facts and data on this brief story that Robert brings to us. And here's why I thought it was important to share with y'all. If one day we have someone in the White House who actually wants to treat the cartels like, frankly, the, the thugs and the enemies that they are, we can use this kind of cartel behavior and their organizational structures against them. And here's how. So we know, obviously, that the, these cartels watch the Mexican roads and monitor them for the violators, the grasshoppers. And that means that we could watch them, too, from drones. And sort of like tracking cockroaches, we can see where they come from and where they go to. Right? We can map out that network, especially as they use cell phones. And then with that intel in hand, if we had a good commander-in-chief who would want to act on it, well, there are a few different things that we could do, but the cleanest would be a drone strike on every person and every vehicle that we have tagged as a cartel member. And at the same time, we could strike every building from which they came and every building that they were going to go to. And if that building is a personal residence, well, you know, that's a shame. Everybody inside becomes Pepto-Bismol. That's just how it works. The point, folks, is that if we were serious about taking on cartels that are attacking this country, we could do it. We have the operational tools to do so. It's just a question of leadership, of presidential resolve. So what is obvious this morning, I, I think to Robert, uh, certainly to me and, and maybe you, is that fundamentally we don't have leadership and resolve in the White House right now. Instead, well, the, the, Mr. Biden and Ms. Harris, they talk about getting to the root causes of things. I briefed you on that previously. Meanwhile, we also don't uh, have leadership or resolve, frankly, in Mexico City either. Instead, Mexican President uh, Mr. Lopez Obrador has said that we should treat cartel members with hugs, not bullets. And yes, I am serious about that. He campaigned on that very slogan of hugs, not bullets back in 2018 when he talked about how to lower cartel violence. Whew. So if you think that this is important, that we need to have a stronger response to these cartels, then you, like Robert, need to remember this when we go to vote. Because one year from now, we need to walk into those ballot boxes and make sure that whoever we vote for thinks that this issue is very important too. Folks, if you would like me to answer one of your questions on the podcast, it's easy to do. Either donate via my Stripe account, which you will find a link for in the show notes. Just make sure you leave your email and I'll be in touch. Otherwise, go to writereport.substack.com, sign up, and at the bottom of each day's Substack post, you can leave me a comment or ask me a question. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.
If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.